Welcome to the Marketing Technology Podcast. News, tools, and tips from marketing technology companies and the marketers using them. Here's Douglas Carr. Hey, this is Doug Carr back with another edition of our Influencer Series. And we have a longtime friend of the show, longtime friend, I think I'm still a friend. Um, <laughs> We have uh, Jay Bear on the line, and we also have uh, Jen Lisak with us, and Thaddeus Rex, who was on a previous show with us. That's right. How y'all doing? I am doing fantastic. (laughs) Thank you for having me back on the program. I don't think there's ever a different reply from you. I just keep fooling on my man. (laughs) No, you have a very uh, uplifting, encouraging... Uh, your messages are always one of optimism and and trying to get people to curb in the right direction. And I I want to sincerely thank you for that because yeah, it's it's I, I think in uh, especially on social media um, things can get negative real quick and uh, and and we need more positivity in the world. Well, thank you. You know, look, I, you know, I have my bad days. There's no question about it. But a, I figure nobody cares, and b. Uh, look, I, you know, I've got like the greatest job in the world. Um, I, I would do this job for free. I'm glad I don't have to, but I would like, okay, here's, I get to make, you know, write blog posts, make podcasts, travel around and give speeches. Um, that's, it's a pretty good gig. I'll take it. Wait a second. And you write books and I write books, which is why we're here today. Woo. (laughs) And you spend time coming up with very clever titles. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) I like it. Was, did someone just ring your doorbell? That was the that's the Joel Com Kaching button right there. Is it? <laughs> Another sale. <laughs> Every time we say hug your haters, does that go off? There we go. <laughs> yes, I love that it. Into the Barnes and Noble uh, cash registers. <laughs> yeah, yeah well, exactly. You need yeah. one of those Amazon push buttons where yep. people just keep I buying make, your I books. Make a dollar every time. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it's a lucrative gig writing books. I'll tell you. Well, uh, uh, having seen you do the keynote at Social Media Marketing World uh, last year, yeah. I think was the first time I I heard that uh, you know really heard you talk about the book and that hug your haters was coming out. And, uh, and, and of course it was a fantastic keynote, by the way, thank you very much. Um, but, but I love that, uh, you utilize Tom Webster on this and you brought real data to this, to this, I want to say argument almost, right? Well, I mean, look, there's almost every business book and certainly almost every customer service book are, are rooted in anecdote and advice. And that's not inherently problematic, but, but it's essentially, Hey, here's some things that I think you should do. Trust me that you should do those things. And I didn't want to write a book like that. So, so this book is grounded in research. We conducted a huge, huge study on the science of complaint and talked to thousands and thousands and thousands of people about who complains and where they complain and why they complain and how. And, and what we discovered in that research forms the basis for the recommendations in Hug Your Haters. And, and one of the most interesting things that we found, which really kind of catapulted this whole concept, is that a third of all customer complaints are never answered. Never. Wow. And That's almost insane. all of the complaints that are never answered are online, social media, review sites, and discussion boards. Ironically, the places that are in public. We answer every call, but we answer very few things in public. We probably have it backwards. I, I love I love the uh, – you had a Forrester Research stat uh, in the book, and it said that uh, 80% of companies believe that they provide customer – uh, superior 
customer service, yeah. not, not, not just customer service, but superior customer service. But when you flip the cards, only 8% of their customers said that it was superior. Yeah. And that, that says it all. And look, I've been a consultant for a really long time. Right. And, and I, I have never, have never, um, seen a scenario where a company says, Oh, we're terrible at customer service. Like everybody believes they're good at it. Uh, and that's kind of how we end up in this situation. And, and, but, but isn't there, I mean, there's quantifiable, you know, metrics, right? Customer retention, customer attrition, you know, that, that point directly to customer Why would I services. compare my metrics to somebody else's <laughs> yeah. when I can sit yeah. in the boardroom and just talk about mine? Well, yeah. and you know what happens in, in the real world, right, is that the people who are responsible for measuring customer service are the people who are leading customer service. So you end up with some statistical gerrymandering there to begin with. And number two, a lot of the metrics that are used even in contemporary customer service are around volume. It's number of calls handle, handled, it's handle time, it's things like that. It's not very often customer satisfaction. There are some, but a lot of times it's how many people did we answer, which is not necessarily indicative of uh, successful customer service. I love sure. that. It's, a, it's like saying that your, your doctor, you go to the best doctor in the world because he treats more patients per right. hour yeah. every day. This guy does another LASIK <laughs> surgery every four minutes. Yeah. <laughs> well, it's like Alaska Airlines. I think if you rate their on-time reports, they're the worst airline in the industry. But they're based in Alaska. So if you yeah. rate you kinda, per airport, damned if you do, damned if you don't, right? Right. Yeah. And if you, but if you look at a specific airport, they have the consistently the best record on on yeah. time out of any single airport. They beat every airline. <laughs> That's, That's incredible. Crazy. So it just it looks. How do you look at the numbers? Well, and people, you know, people tend to ignore complaints, um, and and most of the time it's it's strategic, it's purposeful. It's not like companies are accidentally not answering Yelp reviews or accidentally not answering negative Facebook comments. It's purposeful. It's strategic. This is a policy of of ignoring people, and and a lack of reply is a reply, right? It's a reply that says we don't care about you very much. But I think fundamentally the challenge is that a we don't put enough time and attention in customer retention in general right we we spend too much time on marketing and not enough time on retention and b we don't understand that 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 criticism those complaints are really really important because that's how you get how you get better right the most overrated thing in business the most overrated thing in life actually is praise because every time somebody says oh Doug you're so great at this oh Doug you're so great at that it makes you feel terrific but it doesn't teach you anything because you already know what you're good at. What teaches you something is negative feedback and criticism. That's the Petri dish for improvement. And that's why smart companies, what they seek to find is, is more complaints, not less. There's a story in the book from Le Pan Quotidien, which is a chain of bakeries, uh, 220 locations or so. And, and their director of customer experience, this woman by the name of Erin Pepper, she started there a couple years ago. And when she started, she said, my goal is to triple the number of complaints from our customers. Wow. Think about that, right? It's not to minimize complaints. It's to get as many as possible because that's how you figure out how to get better. And, and people take that the wrong way, right? They think that she's saying that triple the problems. Right. That's not what she's saying. No, yeah, right. you're, you're tripling, you're tripling yeah. the likelihood that somebody has a problem is going to tell you about it because 95%, 95% of unhappy customers never complain in a form or fashion that the business can find. They just disappear, right? It's like, yeah. what, happened to, what happened to Larry? He doesn't come in anymore, right? Poof, just gone, right? So what Aaron's trying to do is take that 5% ratio of complainers to 15 because if you can do that, you get all this additional feedback that you can actually do something about. Interesting. 
Napa guy knows not to judge a man by his car's multicolor paint job or absence of modern gadgetry. Who cares if it's technically old enough to vote and the windows are powered by the strength of your left arm? Your monthly payment is zero, and it'll stay that way. Because with over 400,000 parts and a little Napa know-how, you can keep anything on the road. She may not be pretty, but she's all yours. That's Napa know-how. Now, and I said it's an argument, right? Because especially with social media, I want to say that there were a lot of people in social media that did advise companies to ignore complaints, right? Of course. What was the philosophy there? The philosophy there was you don't want to echo the problems. You you want to echo the positive online and you want to take the negatives offline Offline. immediately. Mm -hmm. And so you didn't – and I mean I'm – I'm I'm mixed on it. I well, I, I'm not going to say I'm mixed on it because Jay and I have had this conversation online. I, I feel like there's a good opportunity for companies to defend themselves. Like I, I think that people take it as if you say that um, if, if someone complains about you and it's not a valid complaint, what do you do? Do you defend yourself, or or do you try to placate the? you know, the complaint. And my, my feeling is I, I feel like you should defend yourself, you know, and I see a lot of companies do it and do very well and say, come on, you know, the, the, the day that you were complaining about that, you showed up half an hour late to your appointment. You did this, you did that, you know, and, and, and that's without embarrassing, I think the end person, but, um, and that's certainly better than, than what typically happens, which is nothing. They just, they just ignore it and then let it fester and leech brand reputation forever because guys, Customer service is a spectator sport now, right? Sure. It, I mean, yeah. it, you know, this this idea that that we can just interact with customers in private via phone and email is over, and, and it's going to get more over. Like, you know, I've got two high school kids at home. Uh, they don't want to use the phone. They have no interest in the phone. Like, you can't get my son on the phone at Bayonet Point. I mean, he has literally no interest. <laughs> no interest. So, so you know, increasingly customer interactions of all kinds, positive, neutral, negative, are going to play out in public. And so you you can't just say, well, if it's negative, we just pretend like this didn't happen. Are you a marketing technology company looking to increase your market share? Contact Doug and his team at DK New Media for information on their public relations, search engine marketing, and content strategies, including a dedicated show on this podcast. Email info at dknewmedia.com. Well, couldn't you argue that um, admitting your faults, you know, corporate brand makes the brand more human? Of course. Of course you can. And and it's true. In fact, there's some amazing research. It's not from me, but I cite it in the book that says um, that if you have a problem and the business successfully answers that problem, solves the problem, you become more loyal than if you never had a problem before. I love that. Nice. I, I, it's like a foxhole, right? It's like we, we, we went through this crucible together, which makes me think, and probably you too, Doug, because you're Machiavellian like I am, makes me think, hey, how can we create a bunch of false problems that we know we can solve to trigger that loyalty effect over time? Like, what can we do? Oh, your TV went out. Oh, it's back on. Yay. You know, like, you know, let's just do that. So. That's crazy. I actually had that experience in an, in an airplane the other day. United Airlines did it to me. The engines turned off and then turned back on. You're like, yay. They, I, they gave me my boarding pass and it says you're group five. And I had the very, very last row in the airplane, and I'd spent extra for a nonstop flight, and I was like, oh, man, I can't believe this. <laughs> and then I go to the gate, and as I'm boarding, I give them my boarding pass, and they ding it through the machine, and they go, 
oh, excuse me, Mr. Rex. And they hand me a new boarding pass and said, you've been bumped up to business class. And I got to sit like in the 12th row with my own aisle. Nice. So they totally decimated my expectations and then way exceeded it. And it's all about expectations. So in the research for the book, we found that there's actually two kinds of haters. There's two main groups. There's off-stage haters, and these are people who complain in private, so phone and email. Uh, today, as we have this conversation, it's about two-thirds of all complaints are off-stage in private. The other side are on-stage haters, and I call them on-stage because they complain in public, social media, review sites, discussion boards, and forums. About a third of all complaints are on stage now, but of course that percentage is going up, 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 and up because it's way easier to complain in those forums than it is to wait on hold or craft an email. But the biggest difference between those two groups is actually in expectations. You mm-hmm. nailed it. So if you're an offstage hater, you expect to hear back. You want an answer. And about 90% of the people, according to my research, who complain on the phone or email expect to hear back. And, and of course, that makes sense, right? If you call a business, you expect to hear back. If you email a business, you expect to hear back. Sure. So, so when you do hear back, you're like, great. There is a, there is a minor bump in customer loyalty, uh, but it's not significant because you expected them to do that. They are doing the minimum expected thing. However, when you complain online in public, you don't necessarily expect to hear back. In fact, only 47% of the people who complain in social media and beyond expect or anticipate to hear back, partially because so many companies just ignore that. So when you do hear back, when you do get an answer to your Facebook missive or your Yelp review or your whatever, it blows your mind and wins your heart. You can get a 25 to 30% increase in customer loyalty just by answering one customer's complaint in public online. Wow. And, and uh, I think this goes back to the human question, right? Are consumers and businesses, and I'm probably going to answer my own question, but are businesses and consumers, we understand that we're going to run into problems with our vendors. We know. We know that the companies that we're going to buy things from, bad things are going to happen. Mistakes are going to happen. Um, but we want to understand how people are going to deal with it. And that's not that's not typically something you find in a marketing brochure, right? It doesn't say under the under the section, "What if we have a problem?" <laughs> right. You know, we don't we don't ever admit that we have problems on the marketing material, um, but maybe we should start, right? Absolutely. Well, you know what you find is is uh, over and over some sort of bullet point that says customer service is incredibly important to us. Like we care about client satisfaction or some other ridiculous thing that, that doesn't actually, um, get put into practice, right? What you never see in the brochure is we're not very good at customer service, right? As we talked about, everybody, everybody thinks they're good at it, but, but when it really comes down to it, um, they're not very good at it. And, and what is interesting about this is that customer service being disrupted in the same way that marketing has been disrupted, Customer service is the new marketing, right? You can differentiate your business against your competition by being markedly better at this than they are, right? You can be faster. You can be more responsive. You can answer in more places. You can answer with more humanity. You can do lots of different things that people say, oh, they they are different than other guys, right? And if I ask you, hey, tell me who's really good at customer service online, all of you and every listener can come up with a couple of ideas. And that's the problem. You can come up with somebody because it's so rare. It's exceptional. It is the exception. My vision, it'll probably never happen, but my vision, my goal, my hope for this book, Hug Your Haters, is that two years from now I say, Doug, who's really good at social media customer service? And you can't answer because there's so many people good at it. Nobody is exceptional anymore. 
Well, it sounds like such common sense. If it's that easy to become excellent and step out of the pack, what are some of the obstacles? Why aren't more companies doing this? Uh, it's usually two reasons. Uh, I, I diagnose five in the book, but the two that are most common are cultural, right? That, that, that we genuinely do not support a culture of hospitality. Like, you know, nobody hates their customers, but there's a difference between like, yeah, okay. And, and look, we will do whatever it takes to keep a customer. Sure. Right. And, and people know those cultures, right? You know, Zappos is a classic example, of course, but, but there's many, many more examples that look, this is in our DNA from the top down of this organization. Our goal is to keep customers. And if that means that we need to do things extreme, we'll do it. Right. Uh, we'll let our employees work off script. We'll, we'll, we'll do things that other businesses simply would not do. So the cultural piece is a huge one. The other one is simply resources, right? To, to do what I recommend in the book, which is to answer every complaint in every channel every time, requires real resources, right? You've got to have more people in more places answering faster. I hear and, the and, CFO freaking out already. Yeah, it's not free, right? It's not free. And so what I hear all the time from companies is, well, we don't have the resources to do that, to which I say, well, that's completely bullshit. Of course you do. You just choose to not deploy your resources that way. Globally, globally, each year we spend about $500 billion in marketing and about $9 billion a year on customer service. <laughs> now, this is despite the fact that you learn in the very first day in business, literally the first day, you learn that it makes more sense economically to keep the customers you've already earned instead of having to replace them all the time and fill that metaphorical leaky bucket, right? We all know that, but yet we don't actually deploy our resources that way. So when somebody says we don't have resources, I say you certainly do, you just choose to not spend them on this wow i, I boy do we need to continue with the show that's <laughs> <laughs> hold on i gotta go make some changes to my policy <laughs> I gotta go i gotta talk to a guy infographics and white papers continue to lead search and content strategies throughout the web dk new media researches designs and promotes the best informational graphic and most well-produced white papers in the industry Contact Doug and his team at DK New Media for additional information. Email info at dknewmedia.com. No, that's that's huge. What do you think, you know, Jay, do you think the, you know, part of that obstacle is the standard, you know, kind of Six Sigma continuous improvement, you know, methodology that businesses have you know, for, for solving problems. And that's that they're, they're not looking long-term, they're looking at, you know, short-term. So short-term is how much is it going to cost us to double our customer service team to make sure that this is right, you yeah. know, versus long-term, you know, what is the overall impact to our bottom line five years from now, 10 years from now, right. you know, for doing this? Yeah, that's a really astute observation, Doug, that, that one of the challenges is that the cost is immediate, but the benefit plays out over time. So if I say, if you do this, if you follow the Hug Your Haters formula, your customers will be more loyal uh, and they will also advocate on your behalf and it turns customers into volunteer marketers and some of those customers will tell their friends who ultimately become customers. All of that is true. And I have mathematical evidence for that in the book in several different ways. But, but the revenue impact of that will take a while to move through the snake. So you got to pay for it now and then you you reap those rewards at some point in the future and yeah that's difficult you have to you have to have a a forward thinking organization and frankly it helps to have an organization that's good at financial modeling and who can also test this to say okay well 
what if we just took a subset of customers and sort of bent over backwards to make them happy? What would the impact on that small group be? Could we track them for six months and see, do they have higher average order? Do they come back more often? Do they advocate more? You know, you you can model the revenue on this, but it takes an organization that kind of that either says, look, we don't need to model it. We believe it's the right thing to do. And we're going to do it. Or an organization that's really good at math and says, OK, let's actually do the hard work necessary to, to figure out the exact financial implications. I like that. So the monkey's paw approach. Sure. Yes, absolutely. I if there's a thing can be done with compensation packages sometimes for salespeople to uh, bringing a client in, you get commission, but you, not every company gives commission for maintaining Oh, that's such a smart idea. And you're exactly right. Like, you know, we, we, we feel like, okay, well, my work is done. You know, they have signed this contract. Well, if we have to get somebody else, you know, three months later, like organizationally, we're just running in place. Sure. And, and while we're on the topic of financial implications, uh, Jay, you cover this a little bit in your book, but the complaint that, um, you know, if someone goes out and complains online, and we're going to give them a free gift certificate for pizza. Mm-hmm. You know, what if we're going to do that every time someone complains, what's going to be the financial implication there? Uh, so can you talk a little bit about how you approach that with companies who have um, that mentality? Concern, yeah. Know, that mentality? Yeah. So so the, I'll, I'll wind that back a little bit and just kind of tell the story to, to frame it up. So one of the examples in the book is from a business called Fresh Brothers Pizza, and they have 14 locations in Southern California. Their owner, Debbie Goldberg, is really great at the hug your haters formula, especially in Yelp and TripAdvisor, which is you know really important for restaurants um, yeah. of, all, of all types. Yeah, and it's a big deal. So what she does is when somebody has a, a positive review, she answers and says, hey, thanks very much. I'm so delighted that you liked your, your experience with Fresh Brothers. Hey, can I send you a gift card? And then the next time, would you bring somebody with you who's never been here? That'd be awesome. And then if somebody has a negative review, one, two stars, she answers back, hey, I'm the owner. Uh, I'm terribly sorry. We we did not treat you the way we prefer to treat everybody. We're so sorry that your experience was less than ideal. Um, what I'd love to do is send you a gift card so that you could give us another try. Would you be okay with that? Now, I asked her when I interviewed her, I said, Debbie, this is brilliant, but seems crazy because like how many gift cards you've given away and aren't people just scamming you out of gift cards? She said, well, we do have a CRM system. We do you know, track it. We know who we gave them to. So it's not like we're giving one guy 15 gift cards. Um, and she said, is it possible that you know somebody makes a review that's, that's more positive than they would or negative and hope to get a gift card? Like, yeah, maybe. But she said, look, this is the least expensive marketing we could ever do. It's like these review sites drive so much business to us and people come in all the time and say, thanks very much. I heard you guys, you know, are so great at customer service. Your pizza must be amazing. It's like it's so much cheaper to give away some gift cards than it is to do print ads and radio ads and outdoor ads and, and coupons and discounts. Uh, she's like, look, she really understands the spectator sport nature of this, that it's not so much about the gift card for that guy. It's all the other people who see that review and are like, wow, these guys really care about their customers. I need to get pizza from them. I love it. it. Well, the irony of that statement, right, was you mentioned coupons. And we've always seen, I mean, I worked in the newspaper field for a long time. And what we saw with coupons was you didn't attract new customers. You attracted coupon users. <laughs> yeah. yeah. You basically <laughs> just gave your current customers a discount. Yeah. I love your choice of wording, too, saying, or her choice of wording, saying, instead of saying, I'm sorry you had a terrible experience, it was, I'm sorry your experience was less than ideal. Yeah. Which keeps it in mind that, you know, we usually expect ideal here. Well, and, and what I like about her in particular being a small business owner 
are relatively small is she really understands that customer service is is marketing but she's also really good at not taking it personal which is difficult to do especially for small businesses because at some level somebody's telling you that your baby's ugly right and and that's really really hard to deal with and in fact one of my favorite parts in the book is when we actually interviewed some psychiatrists and said hey what happens in your mind when you're confronted with negativity and they said well basically your whole mentality changes and it's like the fight or flight response and you go all googly and Mm. that and that happens that effect like you're all like that happens and it lasts for like 28 hours and so here we are saying you got to answer back quickly in social media and review sites, and you do, and I talk about that in the book too, the speed implications. But but I'm saying, hey, answer back quickly. And meanwhile, your head's all like messed up, and you're all like, I'm going to kill you, man. Um, so so it, it, And that's where you get a lot of these situations where individuals or businesses answer back, and they take a bad situation and make it worse, right? Because they're just, you know, they take it personally, and it becomes like this very emotionally charged thing, uh, and, and that's clearly not optimal. Right. Well, well, and let's continue with that because that's the one that I was – I think I was speaking to a little bit before is what about the fake complaint? What about the false complaint? What, you know, what about the one that it just – it's just not true? It, it depends. So there are there – are, let me say this two ways. Um, there are some complaints – um, that are fictitious, especially in review sites, right? They're they're written by a review farm. They're written by competitors, things like that. They're trying to game the system. And in fact, Daniel Lemon um, from my company, Convince and Convert, wrote an amazing book about that called Manipulated. We we uh, we and interviewed him. Yeah, it was, a, yep. yeah, so it was a great interview. And he's a, a great guy. And I, I have the great fortune to work with Dan uh, Daniel every single day. So that's true. The other part, though, that I hear all the time is from people who say, well, yeah, that, that is a real customer. I know that customer. I know the experience that she's talking about, and she's lying. I hear it every single day, Doug. People say, yeah. that customer's lying, and, and they're not lying. It's not, it, that's not what it is. It's that they have a different interpretation of the events than you do. And usually what I find when I dig deeper into this, it's because they don't know the backstory. They can only see what they can see. And in fact, let me talk about Debbie at Fresh Brothers again. So in her pizza business, they've got a couple locations in LA that get super, super busy on weekends. Super busy. And they're her best performing stores. But her best performing stores have the worst average reviews. Why? Because they're so busy. Sometimes the bathroom is dirty. Pizza comes out late. You know, it's a long line, whatever. And so people sometimes slam her, but realize, you know, they don't realize that she's really busy or the manager called in sick or whatever. And so a lot of times they're like, that customer's lying. It's like, it's not, a, the customer's not lying. It's that the, the customer sees things in a different way than, than how you see them. That doesn't mean they're lying. It just means that, that their perception is their reality. Now, do customers, especially online, say things in a way that is particularly bold? Yes, because everybody's a big man behind a keyboard. And second, <laughs> Customers are competing for attention the same way that you're competing for attention in your marketing. So that's why you see so many Yelp reviews and tweets and Facebook posts that are more outlandish than the typical email or call you get from business or from customers in business because they are literally competing for attention. What they want is all their friends to say, oh, my God, that sucks. I'm so sorry that happened to you. What they're looking for is group empathy, and that's why it's written in those ways. Interesting. Now, now, uh, and I want to, you know, this is kind of a personal anecdote, but I want to discuss it just from a behavior standpoint. So typically what happens with me is I start as a offstage 
you know, offline hater. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and so I'll write the email or whatever. And then when I don't get a response or, or the argument ensues or the back and forth and, and everything else, eventually I take it online, you know, and I take it online, um, to, to let them know that, Hey, I'm elevating the importance of your response here in a public forum, (laughs) (laughs) you know, and, 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 and I, and I hold that sparingly, you know, I mean, I I don't have, I don't have the number of followers that you have, but I have a significant number of followers and they pay attention. And, and, you know, now the opposite is true as well, that if they fix the problem, I go out of my way to make sure that I make a big, big deal of that as well. Is that a behavior? You know, do, do you see the haters, whether, uh, you know, on stage or off stage, um, when things are taken care of, are those people more apt to go back and, you know, say, hey, this was fixed, I really appreciate it? Or do they just run? <laughs> uh It's a little of both. It's a little of both. Most people just run um, because they they have their own problem solved and that's what they care about and they're self-centered and they don't care about the business and they just, you know, thank you for for fixing uh, my issue. Most people are not as um, conscientious as you are about either a not holding somebody hostage publicly for no reason and b recognizing when when companies actually do the right thing. Uh, What's fascinating uh, is that the the circumstance that you describe of starting off stage and ending up on stage happens all the time. Okay. All the time. Uh, there's some research from the Netherlands, which is remarkable, which found that 71% of the people who complain in social media in Holland started on phone or email. Wow. And it happens all the time, right? Either because, you know, you're like, hey, I'm not going to wait on hold that long or you don't like what you heard. Um, and so now you're going to take it public. You're going to raise the stakes. You're going to go on stage. Or what we find now in many cases is that when somebody is thinking, hey, I've got a problem, they want that problem answered relatively quickly. And so then they call or email and it's like, well, wait a second, I got to wait on hold how long? Or I send an email. Um, The average amount of time it takes businesses to answer an email now, 44 hours. 44 hours. So it happens all the time. 44 hours. Jen's like 44 seconds. Yeah. I mean, that that's me <laughs> too. I mean, that's, that's I'm like 44 crazy. days. You just had <laughs> so, a 20 minute nap to every single one of my days. <laughs> 44 hours. So, so what happens is that, is that people send an email and then you don't get back to them as fast as they think. And so now they assume that you're not going to get back to them. So now they're double pissed. They're mad for whatever reason they were mad to begin with. And now they think you're blowing them off. So now they're going to Yelp or Facebook or whatever, and they're going to light you up. And so a lot of co- times, while, while we talk a lot in the book and other places about being faster in social media, in many cases, you actually need to be faster on the phone and email to knock down some of that channel switching between offstage and onstage. That's a great insight. Well, I mean, and to make your point, right, if you reworded that study and said to a company, you know, we can reduce your online public complaints about your company by 71%. (laughs) And how do you do that? How do you do that? Answer emails faster? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, which company would say, oh, we're not going to do that. Right. (laughs) Looks like you already visited at home this spring. The patio looks great, but why the makeover? Because we're hosting the block party. Because Sunday dinner's moved outdoors. Because, oh, Hunter's graduation and Emily's baby shower. And because sometimes I can just sit back and enjoy it. 
Explore At Home's expanded selection of patio decor, like cushions starting at $9.99 and garden themes from modern to coastal. At Home, the home decor superstore. Any style, any budget, any reason to redecorate. Visit one of our three Austin area At Home superstores today. Incredible. That is, wow, that, that is just, um, you've really done your homework on this book. Hey, I'm telling you, we've, this, is, this is all about the math. As I said, this is not a book which is like Jay says do this, so do it because you believe Jay. This is, this is real data, and I'm super proud of it. Um, it, it, is, it is the first modern customer service book because it talks about the disruption that's happening today uh, and what to do about it. That's awesome. And I want to run people through, you know, we have the table of contents and, and, uh, and chapters. Thanks, Jay, for sending that over. Um, but, but, you know, first, you know, you spell out in chapter one why you should embrace complaints. Uh, chapter two, the two types of haters, and we talked about that uh, on stage and offstage, and the DNA of complaints. Uh, three, who complains, where and why. Uh, four, you talked about this as well, customer service is a spectator sport. Um, five, we talked about it, uh, obstacles to providing great service. And then chapter six and seven, and maybe you can touch on this, is you have some acronyms here. Um, the, chapter six is the playbook for hugging offstage haters, and the acronym is ours. And maybe you can talk about that, and then we'll talk about chapter seven. Yeah, so so both of those uh, chapters have uh, kind of mnemonics um, that kind of walk you through the the key things to to think about when you're answering haters, either off stage or on stage. And we talk about things like you know having empathy. We talk about. Um, where, where and when you should switch channels, right? Should you say, hey, I know you tried to reach me on Facebook, but we'd like to now call you uh, or email you. When, when should you do that? When shouldn't you do that? How fast do you need to be? Um, all these kind of different tidbits. The one that probably I talk about the most is from the following chapter, which is uh, the mnemonic for that is fears. Uh, and that's of, of how to handle onstage haters. And, and the one that probably resonates uh, the most and, and probably will with your audience is uh, my rule of reply only twice, which says that you should never, ever, 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 ever reply to a customer more than twice in any public forum because it's either a waste of time and or no good will become of it. So, so if somebody says, we love you, you should answer back, we love you too. And then they say, no, we really love you. You can answer back, no, we really love you. And if they come back a third time and they're like super duper fan, just walk away. Like you've, you've, you've been there, done that. You Press the waste, like button. Yeah, you, you, <laughs> you don't need to waste more time on it. Yeah. But the more likely scenario, of course, uh, the more likely scenario is in a negative scenario where somebody says, we hate you. And you answer back, we're sorry. How can we help? And then they answer back, you can't help, we hate you. And you answer back, there seems to be something amiss here. Maybe we should talk about this in a more comprehensive or nuanced fashion. Uh, I would invite you to call me at this number or email me here and we can talk about it. And they answer back a third time. I don't want to call you or email you. I hate you. At that point, you should just walk away. Well, and the great thing is the public just saw you. you exactly. You offered them a resolution exactly. path. You've, you've answered them not just once but twice. You've given them not just one but two chances. You've, you've given them a, a resolution path, an opportunity to have a, a constructive dialogue. Uh, and you have proven to all the spectators that are looking on what your values are, that you do listen, that you do respond, that you do hug your haters, and that you cared about customers. After that, you don't need to feel like you've got to wrestle everybody to the ground. The biggest problem in customer service right now is that people want to make sure that they're right. I want to prove to you that I'm right, and I don't care. I just want to answer this person and move on to the next person, right? You don't have to take everybody and bring it to this resolution because that's how you get sucked into the vortex of negativity from which you can never recover. Trying to prove you're right goes back to that 
we're just perceiving the same facts in a different interpretation too. That's right. Exactly. Well, and, 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 the, and from a company side, you know, you mentioned it before, acknowledge their perception, right? Yes, it's, it's, right. it's not saying that you agree with their perception. No, I understand how you can think that way. Yeah, but but acknowledge it. It's funny. We we recently ran into a, a huge customer service snafu with our with our hosting service, and I'm not going to mention them by name because they're good people. Um, but what ensued was was basically an inside, you know, uh, know it's your fault, know it's your fault, know it's your fault. And to your point, the you know the the two rounds went to eighteen rounds. You know, and, and basically what I kept doing was proving them wrong with data that no, there was something wrong with the infrastructure. No, there's something wrong with the infrastructure. And, and I eventually left. I, I took all of our, you know, all of our sites off of this host. And they, they said, you know, is there anything that we could have done different? And I said, all you had to do was acknowledge what I said the problem was right. instead yeah. of just rejecting me altogether. If you would have said, hey, we're looking into that. We've got engineers, you know, checking it out, everything else. I said, but you forced me to prove you wrong. And, you know, and what I ultimately did was move to a different host and there was no problems. And, uh, and but they, they didn't lose me because of a poor infrastructure. They didn't lose me because of, um, you, you know, the, the service the, or the, you know, the actual features. What they lost me on was the customer service. Yep. They refused to acknowledge your perception. That's that's that was it. They refused. You know, they just dug their heels in and said, "No, this this isn't our fault. This is your fault." And and ultimately, that's why. And I told them that I said, "I'm leaving," and it's not because you're not great people. <laughs> it's just because you're digging your heels in on this. And 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 you know, all I wanted was some empathy. I think. Yeah, yeah and, and that is such a, a key part of this, that, that empathy uh, scenario. Because, look, you don't know you don't know what that customer's deal is, man. You don't, they could be having the worst day of their life, and maybe that's why they really took it out on you. You don't know what their story is. And we're so quick, quick to say, this person's lying, or they're a bad customer, or we deserve to lose us, we, we don't want their business, all that kind of crazy talk. And, and at the end of the day, um, empathy goes a really long way. And empathy yeah. can, be, can be troubling and difficult when you do this at scale. Because what happens is that we say, well, the only way we're going to be able to answer all these people is if we have this set of pre-approved legal responses. And we've got six answers that legal has approved. And so for each scenario, we have to decide which of those six we're going to copy and paste. That happens every day in big companies. I mean, it is a very common scenario. And copy and paste is not empathetic by definition. Uh, and, And so... It, and at that point, you're like, maybe we should not answer at all if we're going to answer with that little humanity. Uh, are we just making it, you know, making it worse? And sometimes I think you are. And you can see it on Twitter in particular, uh, you know, where, where if you look at somebody's um, page and, and every answer is the same, right? It's like, please DM us at this. And it's like, dude, you know, this is this is beyond the minimal that you can do. Yeah. Now, are, now are, are there opportunities there where you tell a client, you know what, you should probably just not have a social media presence. <laughs> well, look, my my belief is that we should be answering every complaint in every channel. Um, and, and I think that's going to get harder before it gets easier because now not only do you have to deal with social media and review sites and discussion boards, but now we're talking about WhatsApp and WeChat and all these other places. So Facebook Messenger is making a huge move in customer service. So 
Um, it's going to get harder before it gets easier. But what I think businesses should do is say, okay, if you're not going to, if you're not, if you can't be good at this channel, it doesn't even matter what channel it is. Make sure that customers know that you don't answer there. Right. So, so set the expectations. Very good. And it doesn't happen. People don't do that. They don't say, we do not answer questions in this channel. Please contact us here. Very rarely do you see that. Um, and it's a mistake because if you're active at all, if you have an account at all, People assume. People think, well, sure, I can get customer service there. You you exist here. There's your logo. Uh, and if you're not prepared to do it right, you just need to make it really clear, like, sorry, we're just not prepared to handle it. That's great, That's great awesome advice. advice. Yeah. Are you a marketing technology company looking to increase your market share? Contact Doug and his team at DK New Media for information on their public relations, search engine marketing, and content strategies, including a dedicated show on this podcast. Email info at dknewmedia.com. Now, now uh, and of course, we're the marketing tech blog, so I do think that technology does play a role uh, on this, and I, and I think um, one of the last, actually, it is the last chapter, um, the future of customer service, you really touch on you know, some technology solutions that, that, that companies should be adopting and, and really fall in love with to basically provide that smooth pathway to initiate, you know, these, these complaints, uh, and improved customer service between, you know, for both offstage and onstage, right? Yeah, no doubt. Well, on on the technology side, it's sort of a multi-headed hydra at this point. Um, clearly on the social side, aggressive social listening is important. Even beyond that, though, so much of, of the mentions of brands in social and in ratings and review sites uh, is kind of hard to get at because the APIs are sort of funky. So that's where you get specialized providers like Yext uh, and review trackers and guys like that who really um, focus on 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 sort of that part of customer service. So that software is really important. Then for big companies, you have this huge issue where in many cases you've got a software pa- uh, package and a lot of times it's, you know, big, big stuff, SAP, Oracle, et cetera, that, that powers the offstage stuff, right? So that that's what you use to handle calls and emails. And then you have something else used to do social media customer care. And those platforms are totally separate and do not talk to one another. So then what happens in the example that we talked about, Doug, where you start with on email and then you end up on Facebook somebody says oh how can we help you they have no idea that you already emailed or called so then the company looks really stupid there's no there's no data unification um, cross-departmentally and that is a real challenge lots of companies are starting to work on that there's some software already out there hp's made a lot of advances in that area clarabridge is really good at it uh, aspect software converse social there's a number of companies trying to solve this problem but the same way that we've seen this martech explosion we're going to see a customer service tech explosion uh, right along with it because because ultimately to do what I'm telling you to do in this book, you have to have software unless you're a really small company. And and to bring it home, you know, this is ultimately this is marketing, right? Uh, because it's in a public forum, because it is out there. I don't think a lot of people look at it that way. But uh, you know, I, I saw you interviewed. Uh, you had Brian Solis on your show lately, and mm-hmm. and and, uh, and we interviewed him as well. You know, but this is all part of the experience of working with a brand and customer service is maybe one of the most important aspects of that. And so for, for companies out there, you know, for marketers out there listening, this is an essential part of your marketing strategy, not not simply your customer service strategy, right? Absolutely. Customer service is, is the new marketing, um, especially when it's played out in public the way it is being played out in public uh, now so often. And, and look, 
you know, your, your competitors will steal everything from you, right? They'll steal your, they'll steal your products. They'll steal your website copy. They'll, you know, knock off your trade show booth. They'll try and poach your best customers. They'll try and steal your best employees. You know, your competitors will take everything from you that they can, but the one thing they can't take from you, the one thing that is yours and yours alone, the one thing that, that can never be clawed back from you is if you genuinely and truly care more about your customers than your competitors do. If you are willing to provide a higher level of hospitality than your competition, that is a differentiator and it is a differentiator that will make increasingly a big difference in your business. Boom. Yeah. Well, see, I thought I, I thought we were done, but then you laid another one on me. Yeah. By the way, customers out there, I love you. <laughs> yeah, to all my customers. Um, well, Thanks, Jay. That's amazing. Yeah, Jay, this has been an incredible conversation. And uh, and let's start pointing people. Let's sell some books for you. Let's um, do that. Where, where do they go? Uh, how can they get them now? Uh, March 1st is the official release date. Uh, the book is available uh, on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, all the places the books are available. The audio book read by me uh, will also be out on March 1st. Um, today, right now, you can get the book at HugYourHaters.com. Really, at any point, you can get the book at HugYourHaters.com. If you do that, you get it from me directly. I will ship it to you uh, for free anywhere in the U.S. and Canada. And there's all kinds of free bonus stuff that I'll send you that is not available anywhere else. Extra uh, amazing research that's not in the book. If you buy a few copies of the book from me, I will send you very very limited edition. I love haters socks, which are amazing. Uh, a bunch of other cool stuff. So if you, if you go to hugyourhaters.com, uh, I will hook you up big time. That's fantastic. And, and for agencies out there, uh, we've started doing it. We did it with Shell Israel's book. And, and, and of course, we'll do it with yours. This is a great opportunity to, to hand your customers something of value as well. And so I would encourage agencies to go Go buy a copy for every customer that you have right now and, and help them uh, get better at customer Well, and I can guarantee they'll, they'll find value because I very carefully curated the stories and the examples and the research in this book so that there's something for everybody. So there's small companies, there's big. There's B2B, there's B2C. There's US, there's global. So we literally created a, a matrix of, of stories to make sure that there's something for everybody in the book. Jay, you are a gentleman and a scholar, sir. Thank you, sir. And uh, I can't thank you enough. I know you get a busy schedule, so I, I appreciate you taking the time with us. And uh, can't wait to get this 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 one published. This is uh, incredible thanks. information. I can't believe thanks. the utility you gave us in this one. Ah, uh, you see how that oh, works. Oh, wait, where's the bell? There it is. <laughs> speaking speaking of which, I forgot to tell you one thing. So. Every copy of the book includes inside the book a poster, an actual color poster called The Hatrix. Uh, nice. And The Hatrix is the analysis of who complains and where and why. It's all the, all the research in the book uh, on one poster. And so every copy has the poster. You can pull the poster out and put it on your wall, put it on your desk, keep it with you, and refer back to it so you know how to handle each of these scenarios. Really thankful uh, to my guys at uh, Penguin Portfolio Books for letting me put a poster in every book, which usually doesn't happen. So I think you'll like it the hatrix that's awesome well i think you've both convinced us and converted us bingo <laughs> wait i wanted the bell <laughs> jay thanks a lot sir guys i appreciate it see you later subscribe online at marketingtechblog.com subscribe to our email download our app or follow us on social media